Welcome to my podcast. Today, my guest is Krishan Lampley, the entrepreneur, founder, and CEO of Love Cork Screw. So Krishan, Love Corkscrew, is it a wine company that makes wine, sells wine? Uh, is it a vineyard? Um, but let explain it a little bit to me. So I do custom crush blends. So I am in the industry known to be a negociant, um, which if you look up the definition is a person that purchases grapes and resells it as their own, right? So that's the French definition. And um, so literally I've been in the industry for over 25 years and met some amazing winemakers and, and vineyards that I've worked with for gosh, years and years and years. And I created my own custom crush blend. So we're talking literally from harvest uh, till the juice is in the bottle. I take part in every bit of the process and I've been doing it a long time and I have some amazing vineyard partners. So custom crush blend is the best way to put it. You're based in Chicago, which uh, to my knowledge is not the wine capital of the world. Not the wine capital, not at all. However, there's over 50 vineyards in the state of Illinois that people don't even know exist. And there's some beautiful, beautiful vineyards in the entire Midwest that really don't get the play that they should. So I am here to give them some attention. And that's what I've been doing my years of owning Love Corks Group. Now, I know that the statistics uh, for what you do is very rare for someone who is female and black. And I yes. we talked about this uh, earlier. And some of the stats that we discovered was that by your estimates, there are about 60 African-American women vinters worldwide. And out of about 110,000 individuals in the wine industry, only 2% of vinters identify as Black and fewer than 1% identify as Black women. That is insane. I'll, I'll give you a little more uh, reference to it. And let's eliminate off the rip, let's eliminate any celebrities take them out of the mix. So I'm talking vineyard owners, negotiants like myself, or winery owners, and now make us African-American women. I mean, we can start with just the women category um, as being extremely minute um, within this industry. Yes, there are a lot of women's songs and not even a lot, but as far as the percentage wise, there's more women's songs, um, but the women really getting into this industry and women of color, um, we're far and few between. And I was the first to go national with a wine brand in the entire Midwest. Wow. And being in this industry from the distribution side and from ownership shot side, I used to own a, an art bar um, and gallery. I've seen it. I've seen the change, the changes that have happened in just people of color coming into this industry. Um, and we're breaking glass ceilings. And by songs, you mean sommelier, Correct. 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 Uh, for those people who don't know. Um, so, but why do you think the statistics are so low? My guess, and I'm not an expert on this, my guess is simply ownership of the land, right? The ownership of vineyards. Um, they've been passed on from generation to generation. And those that generation doesn't look like us. Oh. And it, it can literally be that simple, right? There's really yeah. no, <laughs> yeah. nothing else you can say to go more in depth with that. And it, there's an intimidation factor as well. Um, just being in the world of wine, it's looked at to be so prestigious. And um, for those that did not grow up in wine country and aren't privy uh, to wine on that type of level would be intimidated by it, right? I, I'm intimidated by beer. 
right? I don't yeah. drink the IPA, so I don't know. You know, I was Corona in college, you know? So <laughs> I don't know. So that that has some intimidation factor as well, but wine being extremely intimidating in a lot of ways, I, I believe that that has uh, kept a lot of people and, and kept it from being very diverse. But it, is there also any preconceived notions that it's something that women can't do? Is it something that Black people, men or women, aren't or shouldn't be doing? I think it's just, again, simple as the ownership of, of being, um, having the access um, to growing grapes and harvest and the production of wine. It's just where you live, to be honest. I think that's a part of it because now we're, we're talking, we can get out of the race, we can get out of gender, we can talk about people in the West Coast think they know everything about wine <laughs> versus the East Coast in the Midwest. Um, so it's it's definitely location as, as well. So then what made you go into an industry where the odds are already stacked against you? I mean, is it the challenge that you love or the change that you're trying to make, or you just love wine and damn it, you're going to be in that industry? It was the exact reason why we said, why are women of color not in this industry is the reason why I joined this industry. Um, I knew being in the sales distribution side, there were as simple as people would ask me, Krishan, uh, you're always selling me all these big, huge production wines um, and all these big spirits and stuff, but we really want small batch, you know, but I'm going to accept everything you want because you have all the, the basics that I need. But why, why, why do I want the same wine here at my, you know, prestigious restaurant that is in the grocery store next door? There's a little bit of that. There's working in the ownership side, owning an art gallery. I wrote the wine list and we won Chicago's Best in 2009 for the best wine list. So I knew I had the knack um, for, for doing something different and making it an industry that doesn't look like me because it didn't look like me in either of those sides either. So I pushed forward and said, I'm going to do what everyone tells me I can. The woman from Chicago woman of color trying to get in the wine world. What? You're not going to do that. Well, three million, million bottles now. Yeah, three million. Three million bottles sold later. As a, I, I'm still in shock when I say it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the 10-year anniversary of Love Corkscrew, right? It's been a decade. It's been a decade. And wow, wow. <laughs> so I, I went to your website, krishanlampley.com. And what I love about this website is, you know, not just your beautiful smile that's there, but when I go down, you have something called never a straight line and, and you literally trace your path to success. And that line is not straight. And you are, you are not you know, trying to pretend that it was. And uh, you talk about starting in 2005, working in fashion. And tell me a little bit about that. You know, it feels like you've had several different careers. Um, and so I, I'd kind of like to know how one led to the other to Love Corkscrew. Everything connected, actually. Um, I've really only had two careers. It, it, it all connects. So the fashion industry was amazing. And the reason why Love Corkscrew exists now, I was in high-end retail I mean, I worked at the top houses. We're talking Lascada. Um, I was there for 15 years. Omega. We're talking all the large ones. And being there, a couple of skill sets that I knew I had. Number one was people. I love people, no matter what, right? I had clients. We're talking from prestige 
down to strip club owners, right? We're talking <laughs> everything. I had a mix of everything. And I loved them all and they all loved me because I treated everyone the same, period. With the utmost respect, I knew, I learned, I knew their dog's name, I knew their children's name. Um, and so I always had a knack for people and making things fun. So the fashion industry definitely birthed Love Corkscrew because it went from that to me becoming the GM for some of these large house fashion houses and being able to also manage people. And because I came from the sales side, I was respected all of my employees because I, I, I knew what they went through. It wasn't me going straight from college to management and not getting mm -hmm. how to sell and what yeah. we go through and being on straight commission and things like that. I went from college to salesperson and built my way up into a, in a great house. So again, taking all of that skill set of people, being able to manage, um, also being able to survive off of sometimes nothing. I lived through that whole housing crash. Oh, it was that 2008, Eight. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that was horrible. I went from making so much money on straight commission to most of my clients losing their careers. And we're talking huge business owners at that time. So also take into that loss, able to make it in an industry where I lost a lot, right? When I thought everything was going to continue going up and it comes down. So you take all that. And I say to myself, I had a $2 million book, on average, I'm, I'm helping all these amazing sales associates, but I'm making money for everyone else but me. So that's how Love Corkscrew was birthed. It was birthed for me saying, I'm going to own my own. Started with an art gallery and bar. And it's still kind of the same thing. People, experiences, luxuries, right? It's not a need. It's a want. People want art. But you're serving wine, but it's not your wine yet. Correct. Correct. We had a liquor license. So we had an on-premise and off-premise license um, in the South Loop of Chicago, which was humongous back then. Um, and But we had amazing artists. I wanted to create an art gallery where you can legally drink wine, right? You, you go to some art galleries and they're serving wine. They shouldn't be serving you wine, but they <laughs> are. And I said, you know what? We're going to have a full bar. Let's have a full bar in this art gallery because what? They're going to stay. I have the love for people. I'm going to schnooze them and I'm going to make them want to not go. And then they're going to look at that piece of art and they're going to say, I want it. And we're talking our average art there was $5,000 is the average piece. Yeah. And people were buying. So I'm like, I got a concept here. So it went from that to me saying, okay, I lost everything. You'll probably see on the timeline. I lost it. Yeah. Tell me about that because that, that just picturing the story that you're about to tell about what happened sounds just awful, like just terrible. Imagine, yes. Not only was it awful, it smelled awful. It's it just every, the whole story is awful, right? So I walk in on Christmas day, go through uh, the art. Something just told me to do it. Like I'm literally beelining it to the suburbs to go to my family's house. And I just had a feeling I should check on the gallery. So I walked in, mind you, our lights are in the back. So as I'm walking into our storefront, I'm walking through water and I'm like, what is, what am I walking through here? And it, it was a stench in the gallery. Our gallery always smelled phenomenal. We had amazing candles and everything there. It always smelled great. Um, so as soon as I turn on the light, I'm standing in over two inches of sewer water. So imagine what's in sewer water. Ends up the condo owners above us flushed on biodegradable baby wipes down the toilet, flushed into our storefront 
caused a whole scene. And I don't even talk about this part of it much, but this scene was so bad that literally for a good four days, the city of Chicago cut off that entire block to pump out the sewer because it was that bad. The backup was that bad. So, well, our dram shop insurance didn't cover baby wipes. So we lost everything. You're like, go to self in the future. Put in the future, <laughs> in the future. And I tell this to a lot of small business owners. Have a reserve for contingency. That's what we did not have. We were young entering this business, knew that we were going to do just fine. We were on the front page of the Tribune in the lifestyle section. Like we were selling art and we were popular and everything was great. But we were pretty much month to month, right? On the rent, the, the what was owed and having to split some of the sales with the artists and trying to get things happening. And it was one of those learning things to always have backup, right? But how do you do that? If you're new and you're young, where do you get your contingency? Easy. And when I say easy, I, I'm being a little sarcastic, right? Nothing's easy in business. But whatever what you were told or wherever you thought it took to start a business in that small amount of money or that big amount of money, whatever it was, times it by three, that's my math on anything you do because something is going to go wrong when you're building out, especially if you have a four walls, something will go wrong. During that construction, they're gonna find something that's off, right? Something is not going to be right that you're gonna end up spending more money than that GC told you you did. There's going to be something that's gonna come along where some pricing is gonna go up somewhere in, in some of the equipment and or your rent or whatever. It's never a straight line, just like, as you see on my site, it's never a straight line. Did you ever feel like, you know, you had that crash in, in, in 2008 and then um, in 2011, you had the baby white, baby wipe <laughs> incident. Did you ever feel like, oh man, I can't catch a break or why is God doing this to me? Like what universe, please, what is happening? Of course. Of course. I felt like that was it. I was like, what, what am I supposed to go back into retail or what am I supposed to do? So it was very much of waking up in the morning, you know, with the covers over my head and getting out of bed and saying, wait, but Krishan, your heart's still beating. So you have a purpose. There's a reason why you're here. So I started getting out a lot. Um, and one of the ways of relieving stress at the time, which was so funny, because I've always been very competitive. I was an athlete. It was playing co-ed football. It was so much stress relief, right? Being a part of a team, being able to physically just let it go, right? I want to cry so many times. I want to be like, why me? But that was my escape. And that was my way to get out and say, I got to keep moving. And then I saw other people that I knew when I owned the gallery, right? I wasn't seeing them before because I was being depressed in my, in my house. I wasn't going out. They're like, Krishan, where have you been? We miss you. You're always telling us what wine to choose. You're always telling us what, what cool club to go to or restaurant. Where are you? And that was the birth of Love Corkscrew. That's a short story. Because <laughs> it's never that easy. Never that <laughs> like easy. Like you said, it's never that easy. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. Let's talk about the name Love Corkscrew. Is that is that uh, Eat, Pray, Love kind of a play on words? 
Kind of. Yeah, it was really the start of Love Corkscrew was a blog that I wrote to really it was my diary. It was my release at the time. I'm an awful writer, but it was my way of telling stories that I never told that happened when I owned the gallery and just having some fun and being able to connect with the people that missed me. Well, the name of it was Love Cork screw so the love section were just funny or fun things that would happen as two single women owning an art gallery and bar um the cork section were with my varietal picks and restaurant picks in the screw section was a wild card talking about pop culture and what was happening and, and going on in the world at the time very short simple easy quick blog and that's the name the name came from I was always kind of quirky kind of cool a little sexy I wanted something really fun that would catch people's attention but not overtly right so thus love cork screw <laughs> I feel like it also encapsulates your personality I mean just just the energy is there. That's what everybody says. Yes. <laughs> the people aspect is there. Yes. When I go to the uh, Love Corkscrew website, I see the funkiest, most fun names for the wine. So, so tell me a little bit about then the blog transitioning to a whole business. Yes. Yes. It was okay. It's time for me to come out. If anything, I know, I know CPG. So customer product goods, for those that may not know, I know that I know people, I know sales and marketing, and I had that knack for wine, again, working in that sales and distribution side. So when I was working in that industry, there were a lot of people that were still very intimidated about wine, whether it's pronouncing the varietal names, Chenin Blanc and Chianti, and, and they, they just could not write Bordeaux and couldn't care less to, but that doesn't mean they don't want to enjoy it. So I said, okay. I know what I'm going to do. When I walk down the wine aisle, me personally, what do I do? I pick a bottle that I think looks cool. Yeah, that's what I do. Right? It's the cool looking label. I pick it up. If it happens to be a varietal that I haven't tried, great. If it's one that I normally like, great. And then I'm, I'm going to buy it. And especially when it comes to bringing to someone's house. But I said, as, but now that's me as a wine enthusiast. As a novice, you're a little intimidated because you're not quite sure. Uh, there might be a varietal that you're, you're, you're not sure if it's sweet or dry. You're not positive of how it's going to, to translate. So I said, okay, I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm not going to make you feel intimidated when you're walking down that aisle. I'm going to pick a catchphrase that sets a mood, gives you an experience. It either makes you laugh, or, or it, it reminds you of something, whether it be nostalgia or, and when I think of nostalgia, we're moving on up, which is from the Jeffersons, right? That's my Cabernet Sauvignon. When you're going to someone's house, good times, good friends, bring a Pinot Grigio, which makes perfect sense because normally people serve chicken or fish, but nobody ever brings the Pinot. So that's why I name it good times, good friends. So I wanted it to be fun. I didn't want people to overthink it. It is definitely for wine novice, but wine enthusiasts totally respect my wine. And I wanted it to be unique and eye-catching on, on the shelf. And I think that's what Love Corkshire did. Uh, and did you start small? Did you only have one or two lines and then started to grow? With this personality? Are you kidding me? I started with six varietals from Jump. <laughs> one of my best friends, he told he called me the uh, Snapple of Wines. Like I started with six off the Jump. People are like, you are insane. And I said, yes, I am. Because I wanted to make sure I covered my bases, right? Can I create every varietal under the sun? Absolutely not. But can I hit just about every flavor profile 
that makes sense in popularity, ease, and something that's not intimidating to the novice, yes, I think I can. And that's what I did. So it was as simple as no, I started out with a whole bunch right from the rip. Yeah, <laughs> And it worked. So do, it started off as e-commerce at first, or did you work to get it into stores right away? Oh, no stores right away from day one. It was again, my sales skills. It, it was the lack of what existed at the time mixed with, I, I knew everybody and, and I was not intimidated to go talk to anybody. If you say no, you say no. I get no's all the time. No's all the time. And why? What what are what are the reasons for the no's? They don't know love corkscrewer. We got enough wine in the house. Or it's too much. We, we're doing too much. Not too much in cost. My, my wines are great price point, 12 to 16. But a lot of stores, they have a lot of wine to choose from. Mm-hmm. A lot of wine to choose from. So yeah. I get no's all the time. Um, but you got to keep going. And the great thing was I was able to partner with a small woman distributor um, right off the jump. And that's the hardest part is distribution. Uh, is three-tier system. You can't you know, get over that. Like it's, it is what it is. And you have to deal with that. So it's not even selling to a store. There's just so many moving parts, right? You have to convince a distributor to take you in for them to sell it. But then you also have to convince the store for them to carry it. And then after that, you have to convince the consumer to keep buying it. (laughs) So it's like so many levels that people have no idea. When you encounter someone who's just a total a-hole and you want to tell them to F off, do you actually go and do that? Or do you hold back? Cause you're just like, no, maybe I'll need this person. Maybe even five years, they'll come around and they will like, how do you, how do you handle all of that? It's hard. I'm a very passionate person. Um, however, when it comes to business, I always looked at it. And that's again, being back in that sales background of they're there to make money. So when I'm dealing with that a-hole, at the end of the day, it's nothing personal. They have a bonus to get. They have a quota to make in whatever that is uh, when it comes to buyers, when it comes to distributors. They're in it for the cash, right? So I cannot be mad at you because hmm, at the end of the day, you don't care about what my reaction is. You're going to go home and kiss your, your kids and go on your, you know, your yacht, whatever you're going to do. You're going to do that and not think about Krishan. So why am I going to let that bother me when it comes to people, let's say, that don't like my wine? That's okay. Wine is very subjective. So at the end of the day, if you're going to be a jerk about, ah, I love corkscrew gross, right? Which rarely happens, but let's say it does. (laughs) Do I take it to heart? Sure. I'm an artist, right? So I'm sensitive about my bleep, right? (laughs) However, I keep it moving. I swear one of my favorite books was Don't Sweat the Small Stuff because it's all small stuff. And one of the lines I remember, if it's something that doesn't bug you three months from now, don't let it bug you. If you know you're not going to be thinking about it five years from now, like why are you thinking about it today? So if somebody's walking around being an a-hole more than likely they're an a-hole for another reason that has nothing to do with me. Yeah. So they're unhappy and let them be unhappy. So I let it, I used to let it affect me in my 20s. I'm almost in my 50s now. It does not affect me whatsoever. I keep it going. If it's something that hurt my feelings, I cry for about 30 seconds and then I keep it moving. Well, people should follow you on on LinkedIn as I do because you post your successes on there and sometimes you post your frustrations on there as well. And and it's so important to see all that and we kind of follow the ups and downs. And there was something 
not too long ago, uh, you were in Times Square and you were so super excited in the posts that you were, were doing. So what happened in Times Square? It was the coolest thing ever. I had the opportunity to be on two billboards in Times Square. And originally when the company had told me, um, they had said they'd been following Love Corkscrew for all these years. And I inspired them so much that they're like, we want to do this for you for free. Like, we literally just want to put you on billboards. And I said, you want to what? (laughs) What's the catch? (laughs) Nothing is free. They said nothing. I'm like, okay, wait, wait, wait. So you're telling me this normally would have been about $50,000 and you're doing it for free. They're like, yes, you inspire us. We were on 42nd and 7th and like 49th and 2nd. Like, Like two of the best billboards you could possibly be on, right? That was one of the best days of my entire life. And it was one of those things where I'm looking up at the billboard and no kidding, like a movie, everybody starts looking up and I see the bottle of We Go High and it was just my rosé at the time. And it, it was unbelievable. So that's my my Times Square story. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Would you say that that was one of the highest, like the highest point in Love Corkscrew's professional history? Yes and no. Yes and no. And I only say yes and no. And the no part is because it still hasn't sunk in. And that was four years ago. (laughs) It was one of those things because you're so like moving forward so much and trying to put out all the fires all the time that sometimes you don't celebrate your wins. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say the second one that sticks out to me um, would be doing my TED talk. And that, that was also right before COVID. And I was asked to do a TED talk. And I've always been, you know, I was a theater child and, and I've always been somebody who can talk to, I can be in front of a thousand people and be just fine. And for, to, to be asked to do a TED talk when I always wanted to do one was unbelievable. Literally right before the world shut down for COVID. I was, it was a sold out house. I saw that TED talk. I urge everyone to to find it. It's on YouTube, right? Yes, it is on YouTube. Yeah. Um, it's called "How Success Screwed Me," uh, and it's just, it's and I to this day, um, people watch it. I mean, again, that was four years ago, and, and to this day, people stop me and say, "I watched your TED talk, and it inspired me," and that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, that's where I heard the story before I saw your timeline on your website. That's where I heard so much of the ups and downs of your story and the, the, the flooding and all of that was, that's how I learned it. And you handle it all with such grace and positivity. Um, but it, man, I was just thinking if that was me, I feel like I would have been so defeated and you just keep going. I still feel defeated, right? You you still have those sense of times of of like why did that happen? However, you you really understand and I, and maybe it's, it's it's my age at this point of how all the pieces completely came together to make sense. Yeah, when I think about my feelings at that time, oh my god, that was devastating. I'm like what what am I going to do with my life? But now it's like thank goodness that did happen. Cuz I wouldn't be national now in in this big, huge world that I would have never saw myself in. So things totally shape you to be where you are at the point you're supposed to be. You're you're right. And I do think that that's something that comes with age because you have more to look back on in your life and you start seeing the patterns that that repeat themselves. Patterns that you know, maybe not that are not good that you need to get rid of or patterns of success that you, that you see 
continuously come back. So that gives you faith to keep going. Cause you're like, that pattern's going to continue on. And I will continue to succeed because exactly. you know, the past has shown me what the present is and what the future will be kind of thing. Man, that is so true. It's so true. And sometimes you really have to sit back and think about it because you'll forget some of the little things that got you to where you are now. Absolutely. And and having friends who were with you along for the ride are so important because you do acquire new friends along the way. The more successful you get, the more people you meet and the fun and cool. But to have those people Man. to remind you to be markers, to always remind you the good and the bad, you know, when you yes. need to know how far you've come or to say, hey, listen, you know, that one is not, that's not the good way to go. You got to go this way. Agree. It's beautifully a beauty of social media too, of this technology, right? Because I've had strangers um, come up to me and remind me of some things from the past that I'm like, oh my gosh. I, and, and tell me that it affected them in a positive way. And that means the world. When you look back on everything, not just starting in sales at Escada or wherever, you know, that part of mm -hmm. your life, but do you, can you look back even further and go, you know, yes, she like, would, would there be a classmate from your kindergarten group uh, that would find you on social media and be like, oh my God, Krishan is the owner of Love Corks crew. Well, of course she is because back then she blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yes. All of them. Everyone. I've seen them on Facebook. When I first joined Facebook from high school, grade school, kindergarten, all of them said, this makes perfect sense. Cause that's Krishan through adversity. I would smile. I was always chosen as the leader, whether it be the, the leader when you're in kindergarten and, you know, it's the groups, the volleyball or whatever, who wants to be the leader and pick the team. I was one of the leaders. Um, so it was, or I was the one where we all want to band together and tell the teacher somebody who would be the one to talk and say it. They pick Krishan to be the one to be the spokesman, good or bad, right? Krishan's going to get in trouble or she's going to <laughs> be the star. So it was always me. And, and the funny thing is I welcomed it. I welcomed the challenge. I knew how to talk to, again, talk to people. I was able to talk to the teachers to make a bad thing sound good, right? Or make it make sense. So when I wasn't chosen, I'm like, why in the world aren't you choosing me? Because I'm going to make it right. Um, so yes, just about everyone in my childhood could say, this makes perfect sense. It's not always common for a person to have an artistic side and a business side together at the same time. Usually they're at odds and that's why yes. there's there's another person hired to complement that, but you seem to have both. It's funny, you know, and I don't want to talk, um, you know, horoscopes and things, and, but I am a Libra. So oh, gosh, me too. Oh, then it makes sense to you. What do you mean? Then it makes sense, right? <laughs> it's like, I think I saw some funny meme or something where it says something like uh, it shows like the Libra and it's showing like that Libra's like group of people. And it was just like the Libra just took, control of everything, right? So <laughs> literally every category, that one person was sitting controlling everything. Because, you know, and my mom said it, she's like, um, years ago, and I didn't know how to take it so many years ago. I think I was a teenager. And she said, Krishan, you are good at everything, but I wouldn't say you're great at everything, but you're good at everything. So when she said that, again, it was a teenager, I was like, well, I don't know, I don't know how to feel about that, but I get it. She was saying that I can see the sides of everything. I, I could see 
just about every side to make it make sense. I may not be great at everything, but I can see everything. And I think that's what's made me connect with my creative side, business side, people. I can read people like no other. When something's happening in a room and, and someone is being either sarcastic or, or condescending, or I, I can see it on your face before you can even see it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, so it, it's certain things I can pick up and catch up. I'm very intuitive. And that I think has worked to my advantage to the success of the business when there's times that I couldn't afford to have other people working for me or couldn't afford to get things done from consultants and, and, and firms. I'm going to find a way to get it done because I have to. This is my baby. It's nobody else's. And seeing all those different pieces also ties into looking at the bigger picture. You know, like when you're mad today about something, and but in five years, it won't be important. And, and then you act accordingly and you manage your time or your emotions accordingly yes. because of that. And, and in exact, and it's very true because with every bad thing, if you will, that happens, and I use that word very loosely because at that time you think it's bad. Yes. Yes. When that thing happens oh my gosh, you understand why, wait, I didn't want that. It's almost like looking back at an old relationship, like, oh, I actually liked them. Like, what <laughs> yeah. the, you know, but at the time, you know, it was like they were fabulous. <laughs> but now you're like, what are you kidding me? So there, there's things like that, that happened in your life that got it. That wasn't supposed to be the it. Yeah. Or looking at, at like the accounts that you're talking about, like the account that wasn't supposed to be the account, the one that said no to me. Yeah. And I worked so hard thinking that was going to be the account. But it was supposed to be an account at Boom. that particular time. Boom. Boom. Yeah. And that it, it completely creates the next better thing. Whether you change your mindset in that moment of the no to do better whether you change that moment to let things go and let that energy open up and let good things happen, something's going to happen to you in that moment that you thought it was so bad that it actually can turn things for, oh my God, you can get something you never imagined. You can advise and mentor people with this knowledge and information and the, the person can receive that, but it's unless they experience it themselves, it's really hard to have something like that sink in. And, and some people have to have that benefit of hindsight. And when you're starting a business, you want everyone's advice. Oh, absolutely. And it doesn't mean they're going to be successful or not successful. It doesn't mean that the one thing I can push that will never be wrong is that you have to have a passion behind it. Now, I'm not talking about the person who has a business and sells it and, and that's their thing, right? They consistently the get onto the next business, the flippers, yeah. really different. I'm talking about the person who says to themselves, this is what I'm going to create. This is my passion. Yes, eventually I'm going to sell it or retire it and be happy with where I'm at. But this is, this is me. This is what I want to do. So where I advise people is very much of follow what makes sense or let it follow you, right? Let your passion follow you. What does that mean? So I give the example of, let's say you enjoy baking. You just love baking and I'm going to make these pound cakes and I'm just a pound cake connoisseur queen. You think you just bake the best pound cake and it looks like a brick in the oven and it's disgusting. That doesn't mean you're not passionate about it. Let's say you think you can sing. You're just in the shower blowing like Mariah Carey, right? <laughs> but you're really tone deaf. 
but it doesn't mean you're not passionate about it. Where I say, let your passion follow you is there's some, I bet you amazing things that you can do that become so easy to you. You don't even know you're great at it. So when you ask your friends, family, people around you, they say, oh yeah, you're great at this. You didn't know that? Yeah, that's why I always come to you to get this or to buy this or to, to tell me advice about this or to create this because you're great at it. Sometimes your passion follows you because it's something you just, it's innate, right? You just do it. Those things can create the best business in the world. Those are the little lights. Those are the little warning lights that are saying, hey, pay attention to that. Hello, I'm here. And it took that for me to realize for me, it was people. It was an experiences. It was me enjoying wine and food and breaking bread with several people. It was me being able to talk to everybody, listen to everybody, listen to what they like in their taste buds. Now, not everybody's going to like me. Not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to like any of us. However, I knew that was my jam. It was people. And so the wine made the most sense. If you asked me this years ago, yeah, right. But I knew I was going to be doing something with peak. Yeah. But I didn't know what that looked like. So I just, uh, to to your point of advice and, and leading people to water and, and drinking or not, it's really about paying attention to your surroundings, the people around you, and what they say you're great at. Listen. Let's talk about wine for a second. I'm a bubbly girl. I love champagne. I had two glasses last night that was just amazing. I hope Love Corkscrew has some bubbly. <laughs> yes, right. I'm actually almost sold up. I had a demi sack, um, but it has now become very popular at, at one of the airports. So ah. I said that it's exclusive for them right now. Currently, Wait, you're in airports now too? I am. I'm in Midway Airport here in Chicago. Very excited. Um, my uh, wine is all over the entire Concourse A. So I'm at these amazing restaurants in Concourse A, almost exclusively all Love Corkscrew, which has been unbelievable. What is it about wine that you love? What is it about it that makes you so passionate about the, is it about the wine itself or is it the way it's used or how it's used or who uses it? All the above. Um, it really started off, I would say fresh out of college. I was with my best friend and we loved going to restaurants, right? We weren't serious party girls, if you will. We went to parties and events, but our love was being able to spend our hard earned money to go to great restaurants. And while everybody was drinking the Cosmos and the Apple Martinis, we were doing wine flights. So I fell in love with the experience and the people that surrounded that experience early in my twenties, early in my twenties. So it really was a progression of not wanting to go back, right? I wasn't the bar crawl person. So it was experiencing that, meeting the people that I did along the way. Me and my girlfriend would be hanging with celebrities at the time. If, if only Facebook and social media was out during yeah. that time, boy, oh boy, the things that people would see mm -hmm. and people that we were with, it was so cool. Um, and meeting those people because we're in these restaurants. We were at these wine bars. So it created an experience that I loved. I also loved, never forget it, it was a, a celebrity. We were sitting at a big table and um, it was, she had just got finished doing a concert and they're drinking wine and they have like burgers and pizza and everything. And if, again, if I had a, a smartphone at the time to catch this, 
it was so sexy because they're talking about the performance, the concert. One of them is singing a little bit. One of the band members still has his bass in his hand. And there's wine glasses around and these half eaten burgers and pizza. And they're just like jamming right now, right? Laughing inside jokes, outside, you know, just. And when I caught that, I was like, whoa, this is an experience. And it was wine. It was wine. So it just progressed from there. Uh, my love for it, my love for people, my love for the experience and what wine is. And and I just love the taste too. <laughs> I just love <laughs> it always looks so cool or sexy in films when like you see the characters walk around with these giant goblets, right? And I mean, I sometimes I just want to drink out of a goblet just so I could feel that way. <laughs> that And that's right. It's a feeling, right? It, it's really more experienced than anything. I just happen to like the taste too, but it's, it's just such an experience. It's, it's yeah. so sexy to me. And I, I just love wine. I love the experience yeah. of it. Now, um, you've expanded past just the wines into something called the Lampley. Tell me about that. The Lampley was birthed off. I look at Love Corkscrew as the devil and the Lampley as my angel. It's my last name. Krishan Lampley. And I wanted to do something that after Love Corkstrews sold and, and done and I'm retiring, I wanted something to fall back on because I know the workaholic that I am. I'm When I do retire, it's not going to be me sitting somewhere. Like that's just, it can't happen. So I said, okay, what do I enjoy in my home? And you can't see it now. I'm in my office, but if you looked in my living room, I have a very lofty style home and everything is candles and diffusers and people always say they love coming over to my place and I don't have the biggest place but they always say we feel at home when we're here we can just relax people love falling asleep right <laughs> to with over a glass of wine at my place because they say I make them feel so welcomed and at home so I was like wait so what what surroundings do I have here that I absolutely love candles diffusers also, another note, I have eczema. I was born with eczema. So everything that I buy when it comes to soaps and lotions and things are very like either fragrant free or very natural products. So to keep my skin nice and smooth. So it was, again, one of those simple things of remember I said your passion follows you kind of thing. And people are like, well, what am I good at? I'm good at entertaining. And I always have candles, diffusers, body butter, um, body sprays, scents. That's just how I entertain. Well, yeah. And you said your art gallery back in the day said, you said it always smelled nice. You have candles. Always. I was the one who bought the always. So funny. You just, you just remember like, shit. So I just remember that you're absolutely right. So I decided to develop the Lampley again off of something I wanted to do, but even bigger than that, forget all that. Bigger than that. I wanted to give attention to amazing creatives and purveyors that I've known all these years, whether they've done things for Love Corkscrew, because Love Corkscrew has a candle line as well, whether they, I have seen them and purchased products off of them because I loved their products, whether it be the candles, whether it be the, the body scents, whatever it was, I knew they were amazing. They didn't have the platform that I had. Because Love Corkscrew has a huge platform. So I said, I got it. I'm going to have them make everything for the Lampley. So everything is completely handmade by someone special. Women, people of color that wish they had the exposure and were in the big box stores like I am and do all this. But I'm going to make sure they make some money. 
And this also gives them a chance to get some financing to build their own brand even more. And that's making products for the Lampley. So it's a mixture of supporting women and BIPOC um, within the creative sector, as well as producing something that I love. So all these scents um, on the names were somebody from my family, from my heritage, everything is a connection to, to me as, as a Lampley and having such a strong last name and a very rare last name, I knew it was something I wanted to carry on. And I mean, I don't know how many more websites you could have between KrishanLampley.com and LoveCorkScrew.com and TheLampley.com. Yes. But I'm sure now that I have gotten to know you, that there's going to be a few more .coms that you've got <laughs> your plan. Oh, there's one already. There, there's one already. <laughs> oh, do tell, do tell. Come on. I need to know. That is the Clink Fest. So it, actually, when you're on Love Corkshoe, there's another tab and it's called the Clink Festival. And that is a festival that I created um, last year was the inaugural um, festival. And it was to support women in BIPOC and the wine and spirits brand. So you literally come to the festival and um, just enjoy and partake in spirits and wine. Uh, made from people of color, made from women. Uh, and it's been great because the same kind of thing I do with the Lamplay I did with Clink, where I was able to expose some amazing brands to stores. And two of them are in stores just because of Clink. I was able to bring the buyers from some of these great stores that carry Love Corkscrew, and they came, tasted some of these other wines and spirits. Next thing you know, they're, they're in stores. So it's me giving back and making sure I'm giving exposure and helping women in BIPOC in the industry. Why is that, is that important to you? I mean, not everyone is that way, even if they are women in BIPOC, right? Yes, correct, correct. For me, it's when I realized with all the loss I had that sometimes things are bigger than you. Sometimes it's not about you. And when I realized that, not saying everybody should have that experience, when I realized that, I said, got it. I got the voice. I may not be the number one in what I do, but people listen. The people that do they do get affected in a positive way. So that's when I said, ah, okay, maybe this is not about me. Maybe this is about helping and inspiring others. In my opinion, when you do that, great things happen for you. And I will say the best things have happened for me when I was true to myself in giving back to others. Well, that's what you were doing in school when you were little, right? Oh, who's gonna go talk to the teacher? Good or bad news? It's Krishan. And there you go. You're talking to the uh, to the distributors on behalf of new wine owners. You're talking to distributors on behalf of new artisans on the Lampley. And you, know, you are still doing that. Still doing it. Did it from a kid. You are right. I'm, I mean, I'm having a session with you right now because I'm even realizing as I talk that, yes, I've been doing it forever. And I, it warms my heart more to help others than even help myself sometimes. It's like literally a tapestry that you have weaved together where you can see Love Corkscrew and you can see five-year-old Krishan and 13-year-old Krishan and 21-year-old Krishan and today's Krishan. And um, and it's all it's all connected into this one beautiful woven piece of fabric. That's unbelievable. That, that's unbelievable. Just, I mean, how you put it together. Um, and so thank you. So thank, thank you for this TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're, and you're right. And, and it just warms my heart. And the older I get, I mean, you, you nailed it. I have nothing else to say. You nailed it. That's it.
Yeah. Well, um, I think you nailed it in your life and in your business and in your personality. And what a joy it was to talk to you because I, I, you are inspiring. I, I feel inspired to do what right now? I don't know, but I just want to okay. like, I just want to go. <laughs> like, I just, I'm just going to go and see what happens and see what passion is following me right now. Like, behind me like what's there <laughs> that's what I want and that could be with anything right it doesn't have to be an entrepreneurship it could be an anything I mean how many times did we hear when we were younger and old people always say life is too short yes it yes. seriously is I get it it is and they also say you know that it's you know about the people and to love and to enjoy every moment and all of that stuff that love corkscrew stands for is oh, what what they always say when, when you see those things on, oh, five top things that, you know, a 98-year-old woman says looking back on her life, like those are those are the things. And can you imagine if everyone harnessed that? The joy, the joy of not saying, and I think one of the biggest things that, that we could say that would be wrong, and I can't say anybody's wrong about things, but this one I can, is that you don't want to say, I could have, should have, would have. I don't want to be in my 80s, 90s, sitting there saying, I wish I could have. I'd rather say I did it. It failed, but I had a freaking great time <laughs> than say I should have done this. Well, it's love corkscrew, not could have, should have, would have, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that'll be the name for one of my bottles. Could have, should have, would have might be a name of a shard. Who knows? <laughs> Well, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on here. And of course, people can find you on LinkedIn and they really, really should. And kushanlampley.com, lovecorkscrew.com, thelampley.com, and now clinkfest.com. Krishan, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me.